Welcome to the Writer Experience Podcast, presented by FlickeringMyth.com. I'm your host, Court Dunn. Join us as we talk to writers about their work, their process, and what it means to be a writer. Welcome to the Writer Experience Podcast. Today's guest is Eric Haywood. Eric is a screenwriter for Power, Empire, Private Practice, Soul Food, and Relative Stranger. And he's also a director for Empire and Four of Hearts. Eric, how's it going? Going fine. Thank you for having me. So tell us, normally I ask what location you're in. In yes. this case, you're in New York, but you're yes. not from New York. So tell us, like, where are you normally based? Normally, I am based in uh, Los Angeles. Uh, I've been living there. I'm from uh, Milwaukee, Wisconsin originally, and I've been in L.A. for just under 20 years now. So that's, that's definitely become home. Did you set out to become a writer of TV specifically? Um, no, or? close. My, okay. my original career goal many, many years ago was to uh, write and direct features. And this is long before the television landscape sort of became what it is now. I wanted to do sort of like mid-range, medium-budget, character-driven uh, drama films. And on the way to pursuing that goal, I sort of ended up getting sidetracked into my first TV writing job and sort of fell in love with that process and have, have been there pretty much ever since. How did you get your first TV writing job? How did that come about? When I was, uh, live, I was living in Atlanta, this was the, the 1990s, the, the mid-90s. I, was, uh, I had written a, uh, a feature film that I was going to uh, self-finance and uh, direct. And uh, I sent the script to a producer friend of mine who lived in Los Angeles and had a deal with one of the major studios just to get his feedback on the, the quality of the writing and any, any notes that he might have had. And uh, he called me back not long after and said that he loved the script wanted to help me get it made um, on a sort of higher level than a, a low-budget indie feature. And so I basically, being naive as I was back then, I assumed that that meant my movie was going to get made in a matter of months, if not weeks. So I packed up all my belongings and I moved from Atlanta to L.A. and then began the process of what's called development, which is where you get bombarded with notes and get asked to rewrite your, your script again and again and again for, at the time, for no money. But along the way, that script began to circulate, and uh, it got put into the hands of a woman named Felicia Henderson, who was the showrunner uh, for Soul Food, the series. Showtime was just starting production on the, the series, which was the spinoff from the feature film. And uh, uh, that was back in the days when, I think this, is, this, this practice has kind of faded away, but years ago, TV shows would farm out one or two episodes per season to writers who weren't on the established writing staff. They were called freelance episodes because you were a freelance writer. I got one of those uh, assignments for the first season of Soul Food. And then that went well, and I got offered a job on staff starting in uh, the show's second season, accepted the offer, and stayed on staff until the show ended in season five. So like I said, came to LA uh, with the intention of becoming a, a big-time uh, feature film director, a writer and director, and then uh, totally unexpectedly got sort of uh, uh, sidetracked into television. And how did you become a director as well? At what point over you know, the course of being a TV writer, how did you get the opportunity to become a director? Well, I started my, my career as a director. I went to, to, to school, uh, studied film at the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee. And my first professional job in the business, I was a music video director for several years before I got into uh, writing for television. So 
once the TV writing career began, I sort of always had my eye on getting the opportunity to direct episodic television. So after many years uh, and, and a few different shows as a writer, once I got staffed on Empire, I had been there for a few seasons. And by the end of the show's third season, I approached the showrunner and let her know that I had a serious desire to direct. And by that time, once you've been to set several times, you're familiar with the cast, you're familiar with the crew, you're familiar with the pace of the show, it's a little easier for the powers that be to give you a yes when it comes to directing. So yeah, so in, season, in the fourth season of Empire, I directed my first episode of Episodic TV. And are you still writing and directing now or currently? I'm a writer by trade. Yes. So the, the, the lion's share of my time, it's sort of hard to be a working TV director when you spend the majority of your time in a writer's room, uh, you know, writing, writing a show. So the, the vast majority of my time and energy and income comes from, from writing. But I'm already looking at uh, opportunities to get back in the, the director's chair for, for TV. And what are your current projects? Definitely Power. What else are you currently working Power on? Power is the main thing that I'm working on now. We're actually uh, in production on the show's sixth season. And as we record this podcast, it's a Sunday. And I'm in New York because we're getting ready to begin shooting an episode that I wrote. And we actually begin uh, production on that tomorrow. There are a couple other things that I have going on that have been sort of like signed and, and contracted. They haven't been announced yet. So I have to little sort of, sort of hold back and wait until the people in charge of those projects sort of make some formal announcements. But like, like I said, power is sort of my main focus at this point. So for power while you're in New York, what is a day in the life for you as a writer? I assume you're going to be on the set. Yes. Yeah. You're on set all day, every okay. day. I've been here actually for about a week and a half and we've been prepping. And the prep process for a TV episode basically involves being present for location scouts, looking at actors' audition tapes in some cases, not always, but in some cases, communicating the intent of the script to the director and to other department heads so that they can, you know, um, all perform their individual tasks and bring things together for when it's time to actually shoot it. So, like I said, for the last week and a half or so, I've been doing that. So you, you report to the, to the uh, production office. And there's a daily schedule. You know, there are meetings. There's a wardrobe meeting. There's a stunts meeting. There's a special effects meeting. There's a, you know, there's all kinds of meetings. And then, you know, there are location scouts where the director, you know, well, we all, you know, what a location scout is. The director looks at a bunch of options and he or she will weigh in on the pros and cons of a given location. And then the, uh, uh, once locations are, are pretty much locked down, you have what's called a tech scout, which is where all the department heads from the crew look at the locations that have been selected. And then, you know, so they can get an understanding of what they'll need to be able to access a certain building, or we have to block out these windows, or that we have to hold traffic on this street. All those concerns get addressed uh, as a result of the tech scout. So like I said, it's been a series of meetings. And also, as a result of those meetings and the scouts, there are often things that get changed in the script. And that's what the writer's here there for. So it may be as simple as changing an interior location to an exterior because that's what was decided on for the shoot. Or it may be decided that an entire scene is no longer necessary. So you get, you know, that scene gets, gets cut out. Sometimes the scene will get added or a line will get moved from, from the beginning of the scene to the end of the scene. All these kind of things um, come from the collaboration of the director, the writer, the showrunner, and various um, department heads to um, get the actual episode up, up on its feet. 
How many writers are there? Um, there are, there's a staff of six, and then there are two showrunners. You know, there's many different voices in a writer's room. Mm-hmm. Which are you? Are you the, the loud, outspoken one? You know, you it's, the... it, hmm, that, that's a question I get asked a lot. And I always <laughs> find, I always find that it's an easier question for someone else to answer because you sort of like, for me at least, you get in the writer's room and you just sort of do your thing, whatever you, whatever you feel your thing is that comes naturally. And it will be easier for someone else who's more objective to say, oh, you are the one who always brings the jokes or you are the one who always focuses on structure. You are the one who is the voice of this particular character Mm -hmm. for, because it matches your background and your personality. You like to think that you're there because you can do it all. And you more, more often than not get called upon to address a variety of different things. So you don't want to think of yourself as just a specialist. It isn't like a band where you're just the drummer. You know, it's like it's a band where like sometimes you play the drums, sometimes you're on guitar, sometimes you're singing lead vocal, sometimes you a little bit, little bit of backup. But if someone else listens to the record, they say, oh, Eric is the one who plays the drums. But they don't know that I've also done a little bit of this, that yeah. and, and everything else. So it's hard for, for me as the person sort of, sort of on the inside of myself to say, well, this is my specialty. I can easily see someone else saying, oh, yeah, Eric is the one who does X, mm-hmm. Y and Z. And, and ultimately, it's a question of what the showrunner thinks an individual writer's strengths and weaknesses are because they're the one who, who who's putting together the staff and they're the one who has the sort of like the 30,000 feet view of what everybody else brings to the table if that makes sense what are the challenges of writing in a group with a writer's room what are the- um you know you don't have the the freedom of just being able to to write whatever you want frankly you know sometimes you will pitch what you feel is a great idea and for whatever reason, the showrunner doesn't like it or the majority of the staff doesn't like it. It's usually a best idea wins kind of scenario, but sometimes it's also sort of a majority wins scenario. So if I pitch something, if there's 10 of us and I pitch something and four of us like it and you pitch something and six of us like that a little bit better, nine times out of 10, the, the idea that gets the majority vote is the one that gets presented to the showrunner. If the showrunner says, I hate that, then you have the other idea up your sleeve to say, well, if you don't like that, we have this other idea to present to you. And sometimes that one will win or sometimes that one will get shot down too. And you go back to, to the, the drawing board. So, but the, other, the, the, the upside of, of being in a, in a writer's room is you don't have to carry the entire burden by yourself. Someone will say, hey, what if X, Y, Z? And then their pitch will automatically trigger a thought in your head that you wouldn't have thought of before. And you say, oh, okay, well, if we do that, then we can do this other thing too, or we can do this other thing instead. Or if we do that, that will undo something that we did in the previous episode. So maybe we don't want to do that. So you, you get the benefit of a bunch of different brains collaborating as opposed to just having to carry the entire burden of coming up with every single idea by yourself. Has the experience of being a director yourself changed the way you write? It probably has because There are times when, as a writer, you want to write something on the page just to paint a picture. And you, it's very easy to lose sight of the fact that the crew and the actors have to physically execute what's on the page. So if you have, just as a random example, if you have a scene that you write where, you know, Sam is walking through the park. That sentence alone feels very bland. And as a writer, you want to jazz it up and make it sound more writerly. So you're like, you know, Sam is walking through the park. The sun is shining and the birds are singing and blah, 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 blah. And then you get into a production meeting 
and then you have a 15 minute conversation about the birds because the prop guy wants to know where are we getting the fucking birds from? <laughs> How many birds? What kind of birds are in season? And you're like, no, I didn't really mean literally birds. I just yeah. meant it's a nice, beautiful day in the park. And you, you realize, and even the director will have those questions because oftentimes things get thought of once you put it on the page, it feels very concrete. There's actually a, a, an instance in, in, in the episode that, I, that I'm working on now where I wrote that a character gets in the car and uh, uh, he guns the engine and pulls away. And there was something about the phrasing of guns the engine that made different people ask, well, like, is this a stunt? Do we have to block traffic? Do we have to? And I was like, I didn't mean like literally like Dukes of Hazard, you know, car stunt. <laughs> I just was trying to be a little bit more, you know, artistic in the way that I described. He pulls away from the curb. It doesn't need to be a literal stunt. But those are the kind of things that you learn as a, as a director and also just more as, an, as a more experienced writer. You learn to get the point across without going into excessive descriptions of things that are only going to cause confusion. I imagine you guys are writing in a staggered structure where you'll write a few episodes and you're shooting at the same time, or are you guys- Most, uh, uh, Power is like most shows that I've, that I've worked on in that you start a few months, the writer's room assembles a few months before production begins. You start pitching ideas and you start writing the first two or three episodes before production begins. So it's staggered in the sense that you have what's called one or two, hopefully three scripts banked before the first day of production. Once production begins, you are writing and shooting simultaneously. So one is being filmed, by then episode four is being written. When episode two is being filmed, episode five is being written. And the trick is to keep those scripts cranking out because once production starts, it's like a train leaving the station. And if one day you finish shooting episode nine and the script for episode 10 isn't ready, everybody literally just grinds to a halt. There's nothing for anybody to do without you know, that script to operate from. So the idea is to keep the scripts coming so that production doesn't get backed up without losing sight of the quality of, of, those, of those scripts. Does seeing the episodes as they're being shot inform how you're writing? Maybe you had originally had something in mind for this episode, but oh, we just saw what that actually looks like. So we should change this. Yeah, you have to maintain a very healthy, you have to pick your battles, basically. You have to maintain a very healthy flexibility. There are some things, like I said earlier, if, if a if the, the needs of a location require you to change from interior to exterior or vice versa, not a big deal. Once in a while, someone will have an idea and say, well, hey, why don't we, you know, move this location from a coffee shop to a train station? And you say, well, no, we, it needs to be a coffee shop because we're setting up something that you guys don't know yet. But in the writer's room, we know that this coffee shop is going to pay off three episodes later. So those are times when you have to make, that's why the writer needs to be you know, present for all these meetings and there through production, because you will have inside information in a lot of cases that everybody else doesn't have. And then you say, well, no, guys, it has to be the coffee shop because of X, Y, and Z reason. So we have to figure out a way to make it work. Are you taking input from the feedback of the audience as episodes air and people are talking about it on Twitter and Power is a show that's very popular, so I'm sure you're getting a lot of feedback from fans. There's, there's a lot of feedback, unfortunately, <laughs> or, or fortunately, by the time the show airs, and that's, this is true of a lot of shows, okay. by the, time, the, the, the lead time is such that by the time a show airs and the audience sees it and begins giving feedback, the things they're commenting on are, are already cast in stone. You know, you couldn't change them if you wanted to. I remember 
the very first season of Empire, we wrote and shot almost the entire first season before the pilot aired. I think we were shooting the finale when the pilot aired. And as the first season began to air, I remember seeing a review somewhere around the middle of the season, like around episode six or seven. Somebody said, wow, the writers are really responding to audience feedback because they're going deeper and the characters are getting stronger. And I was like, those episodes were locked like months ago. So as a writing staff and as a team making a TV show, you hope to learn and improve just by watching your own episodes. And you say, well, this actor's strengths are this. So let's write to those. Or the, the show works better as a whole when we focus on this area as opposed to that area. Hopefully, those lessons will overlap with things the audience begins to feel. But yeah, it, it's, it's not uncommon that people think that because you tweeted something on Thursday, next week's episode is a response to your tweet or your email or your Facebook post or whatever. And 99 times out of 100, it is, is impossible for the response to be that rapid. Wow. Let's talk arcs. So I assume at some point before you start writing all the episodes, there's a meeting or multiple meetings where you're talking through all the character arcs for the season. Yes. Is that one meeting? What does that look like? It's more than one meeting. And it's usually, it usually starts with the showrunner saying to the staff, this season, we, I want this season to be about a broad theme like family or loyalty or whatever the theme is. And then I want to filter all of the main characters through that theme. So let's go through the character list and talk about where this character has come from and where we want them to go that will tie into that theme. And things will change along the way, invariably, but at least you have a starting point so that everybody has sort of like, we're all speaking the same language in the beginning. In many cases, a show will generate what's called um, character documents, which is where Different writers will be assigned, okay, we've discussed each character, the overall arcs for the season, and in order to convey all this to the network and the studio, there will be a series of documents that are written. Character number one is going to go through this, this, and this this season, and based on the theme. Character two, based on the theme, is going to go through X, Y, and Z. So different writers on the staff will get assigned to basically branch off and go write those documents, and then we'll bring them back to the room. Everybody reads them. Everybody um, um, chimes in with feedback and says, well, maybe we don't want to emphasize this or we don't want to emphasize that. And then those documents often will, will, at some point, once they've gone through the whole approvals process, will get shared with the actual actors. So they kind of know in broad strokes where their characters headed that season. The Flickering Myth Podcast is a source for all of the weekly entertainment news that we could possibly be bothered to talk about. Tune in every Tuesday for a roundtable discussion featuring a host of Flickering Myth writers and contributors. You can find us on all your favorite podcatchers as well as right here at flickeringmyth.com, part of the Flickering Myth Podcast Network. Hi, I'm Alan Christian. I'm Gerald James. And I'm Lacey Day. And we host the Four Color Film Podcast. What do we do at the Four Color Film Podcast, Gerald? We watch and dissect every comic book-based film. Lacey, do you still like being here? Yeah, it's really great. (laughs) (laughs) You can find us on Stitcher, iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify, and wherever else they have Good podcasts and podcasts like these. (laughs) 
You sound like a kidnapping victim. <laughs> also on the Flickering Myth Podcast Network at flickeringmyth.com, along with other great shows. Check us out and check them out too. Thank you. Hell Zane. Hell Zane. Hell Zane. How do they choose which writer writes which episode? It's showrunner's discretion. Sometimes it's a total crapshoot. It's guesswork. Sometimes it's, I think you have an affinity for this character, so I'm going to assign that one to you. Or, you know, so, so it, it's total showrunner's call. You know, you don't get to, like, swap <laughs> as a mm-hmm. member of the staff. You don't say, I don't want this guy, I want that guy. <laughs> you just have to um, take what you're assigned and swing for the fences and give it your best. This season, you're still shooting it, and it's for the next season that's coming out that you're shooting right now, Correct. obviously. Yes. When does that air? They haven't released the air date, so I honestly don't know. But in the past, power seasons usually premiere June, July, somewhere like you know summer to late summer. So I expect the, the pattern to be uh, the same. I'm just thinking as we're recording this that it's just funny because you can't talk about, obviously, the contents of what's actually happening. I really of course. can't. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. you literally can't. Yeah. So it's tough because we can't actually talk about the right. content itself. Is there, well, I was going to say, is there something you're most excited about? We can't ask you that. Uh, <laughs> I mean, the answer is yes, but that's as far as I can, as far as I can go, unfortunately. So there is something he's excited about, yes. guys. Yeah. You got your start. How did, would you suggest aspiring writers who are listening to this get their foot in the door? If you know, be a TV writer. yeah, you know, the, the landscape is so different now than when I first started. A, there are, are far more TV shows, there are far more networks, there are streaming services. So there's just more opportunity. But uh, even beyond that, I feel like the advent of social media has really changed the playing field for a lot of people. So first and foremost, the main thing that, that everybody needs to be doing is just, it, this sounds obvious, but writing all the time. Like you don't want to just have your one passion project that that you really love and are proud of. You have to have that and then continue cranking out another piece of material, be it a pilot or a movie or a play or what have you. And then when that's done, write another one. So the, the, you need to constantly be, be turning over new pieces of material because that's your calling card. But social media makes it far easier than it used to be to promote yourself to promote your own work. Maybe you won a screenwriting competition. Maybe you got into the, you know, the, the, the Nickelodeon Writing Fellowship Program or, or the HBO Directing Fellowship or any of those programs. You can promote yourself and attract more attention than you were able to you know, 10, 15 years ago. There's a lot more people actively networking. People are looking for writers on Twitter. You know, there are hashtags you can jump on and see who's looking for what. You know, I'm looking for you know, a female writer with a legal background, or I'm looking for a male writer who um, has lived overseas and does animation. You know, people get very specific in a lot of cases. So if you play your cards right, and by that I mean there's a way to network without being um, sort of pushy and obnoxious, but you still make yourself visible to people, you know, join in conversations, you know, join in some of these these discussions and hashtags that, that, that take place on social media and just get your name out there. And hopefully, you know, if the, if the stars line up perfectly, somebody will say to you, hey, send, I, I saw you talk about blah, blah, blah. Send me your, I'd love to read your script. And then now you've formed a relationship. That wasn't the case not that long ago. You mentioned that you should always be writing 
Do you find that you have enough time to work on your own projects aside from your... No, there's never enough time. I've actually in the last like year or so gotten a lot busier than I used to be. And it is it's genuinely a challenge trying to... You don't really find the time, you make the time. You know, it's like, you know, you have to not do something else with your day so that you can spend a portion of that time um, writing. And it just becomes a choice and a, and a matter of figuring out how to prioritize. Do you, uh, as a writing team, is there such a thing as a team having writer's block? I've been in situations where an entire room is stopped dead in its tracks because a certain story has stumped everybody. And it usually doesn't last that long because someone will just say, what you want to do in a writer's environment, in a writer's room environment, is keep the conversation going because even the most outlandish what if pitch, like I said earlier, can spark something in someone else. So what you don't want is, is dead silence. Now, I've experienced that. <laughs> uh, usually someone will, even if it's just out of pure frustration, will say, oh, okay, well, what if this? Or, or the thing you often hear in writer's rooms is, not this, but something like this. And then they'll pitch you know, whatever their idea is because they, they want to preface it like that by letting everybody know this is not what I'm literally pitching mm-hmm. for this show, but something kind of in this vein might get someone else thinking and talking. And now we're, we're sort of, you know, we get ourselves unstuck that way. What's your uh, end game for writing or maybe not even writing, directing, becoming your own showrunner as well? Is that in the cards? Is that what you want to do? What's it's, like definitely the the cards. Okay. it's definitely in the okay. cards. It's definitely in the cards. And track is being laid to take me in that, in that direction. But, you know, there, there are, increasingly, I'm becoming aware that there are, it's sort of a grass is always greener on, on the other side kind of scenario. There are times when, and this has happened on more than one show that I worked on, the showrunner will come back to the writer's room from a meeting with the network, and they look like they want to just kill themselves. And it's like, ooh, you know what, I'm glad I, I didn't have to take part in that meeting because it's above my pay grade. You know, on the other hand, the showrunner is the one, if the show is well-received, that gets the accolades, right. that does the interviews, that does the, you know, the pro- and speaks for the voice of the show because they're the voice of the show. So it's, it's a constant shifting awareness of like, you know what, it'd be really cool to have my own show. And then somehow you're like, you know what, I like to go home at six and not worry about, you know, a literal 2 a.m. phone call from the head of the network that you have to answer and respond to. That's once again, you know, it's, it's above the, the, the typical um, uh, writer on staff's pay grade. You come in, you do your work. I've, I've worked with writers who, when, uh, you know, you call, you know, uh, an end to that particular workday, they are out the door and on the elevator in 15 seconds because they're done. And then there are people who like to kind of like hang out and linger, maybe check email, go back to their office and check email and wait for traffic to die down. But those are choices that you get to make when you're on the staff as opposed to the showrunner. Like, you're not leaving until the work is done. And when you leave, the work follow goes with you. You know, like, you're on vacation? Well, you know, show's still in production. Somebody has a question that only you can answer. You're going to get that phone call or that email. So, like I said, it's, it's definitely, there, there are pros and cons to, you know, to, to being a showrunner versus, versus not. But, um, but all that to say, increasingly, the, the idea of, of showrunning is, is really appealing to me. What about feature films? Is that something that you are still interested in as well? Yeah, I am. I am. It's just the, the, the challenge with features nowadays is that 
it's a numbers game. It's like the opportunities just aren't there like they used to be. If you are, it's basically the, like I mentioned earlier, you know, I wanted to do those mid-range sort of character-driven dramas. And I, I would always think of movies like American Beauty as like the template of that's the kind of thing that I wanted to do. For the most part, that range of, of filmmaking has kind of fallen by the wayside. There are exceptions, but by and large, that type of storytelling has migrated to TV. You know, where it doesn't have to be, you know, big budget special effects and superheroes. It can just be, you know, six seasons of, or however many, of, you know, Walter White or, or Don Draper or, or what have you. So if the right opportunity comes along, absolutely. But, um, but TV feels like it. there's such a broad spectrum of opportunities and, and opportunities to be creative that, that I'm pretty happy with the way things have, have worked out. Are there old scripts sitting around somewhere that you're like, wow, that was a really good story. It's too bad it never got made. Maybe someday I could bring it back. Um, Do you ever pull ideas from those old stories? What's funny is I actually, today, Sunday, I think just literally yesterday, I was looking at an old script of mine that I wrote a few years ago that, I was, that I'm still very happy with and maybe it'll get made one day. I don't know that I necessarily pull ideas from specific scripts. I think that certain ideas, I think it's probably like being a musician where like certain, a certain melody will get stuck in your head that even if you move on to creating an entirely new song, bits and pieces of that melody will creep in just because you like it and it feels very, you know, like something very comfortable to, to return to. But there, there's, a, there's a challenge in, in trying to do that in a way that makes it still feel fresh and new and not like you're repeating the same character or the same line of dialogue or the same whatever again and again. But I can see, if I were to look back at some of my old scripts, I think I can see certain phrases that I use that I've always sort of stuck with and some that I'm like, oh, I use that phrase way too much. I need to cut, <laughs> cut back on that one. But it's still, it's like, you know what it's like? Looking at an old script is like looking at an old high school yearbook photo. It's like... I see myself in it. I don't look like that anymore, <laughs> but I don't deny, you know, that's where I was. That's an accurate depiction of who I was then. And I think about, if I look at one of my scripts from five years ago, it's kind of a similar feeling. It's like, you know, I, I recognize myself in the, in the writing, but I also feel like there's been growth when I look at what I'm doing now. Are you often tempted when you're working on writing for someone else to come up with ideas for yourself? Like, oh, I'm going to start writing this. You know what I mean? Oh, that's a very common thing. Yeah. I think when you're, it becomes a joke in a lot of writer's rooms, you know, you'll pitch something and the showrunner says, well, I hate that. We're not doing that. And then, you know, if, if the environment is friendly enough, <laughs> the writer will sometimes say, well, I'll just save that for my pilot. <laughs> and, and, and everybody laughs and it's like, but it, there's, there's a seed of truth in that. It's like, if your, if your idea doesn't land in the room, if it, you know, gets <laughs> rejected out on its face, you got it down in your notebook and you save it. You know, if you feel that passionately about it, you'll find a way for it to resurface in, in some, some future work. Would you like to participate in something we call a series of seemingly random questions? <laughs> okay. okay, let's do it. I've heard that in writers' rooms, certain comfort foods, or any writer in general, there are certain foods that can sometimes help, whether it's a bag of chips or, you know, ordering a pizza. Mm -hmm. Is there a particular food that kind of gets you kind of to that next level? You know, the, the, the thing that I think people very rarely talk about is the amount of bad food that most writers' rooms get stocked with. It's usually junk food. It's usually sugary food. It's usually candy. There, and, then, you know, and then over in the corner, there's the sad fruit section. There's like a couple of apples and a couple of bananas. But 
you know, people tend to like to get fueled up on something sugary, but especially if you're working a really long day or you come back from lunch and your energy's kind of faded, you want something to kind of like give you a little bit of a, a, a boost. The trick is to not take it too far and go overboard because it's like, it's a freshly stocked kitchen every single week with brand new, you know, uh, horrible food that is very, very tempting. I tend to try to keep it in moderation because also you're also sitting all day. So you're eating candy bars and then you're sitting around the conference table. So I've learned that moderation is definitely best, but I do have a sweet tooth. So I try to keep it under control, but, but chocolate is usually my weakness. Next question. Yes. If you could be any one of your characters that you've written for, who would you choose? You know, that's hard because, and I'm sure if you've asked other writers this question, they probably all say some version of, I think of all my characters as different pieces of myself. So, or they may say they're like my kids and I can't pick one, <laughs> uh, or one of those kinds of metaphors. Who would I be? I think, well, right now I'm, I'm very much, because I'm writing for, for Power, Lorenz Tate plays a character named Rashad Tate on the show. He's a, a city councilman in New York City. And uh, I think I've had fun writing everybody on this show, but I think I, I definitely have sparked to that character. I, w- I, would, I would trade places with him if I could, at least for a day. Next question. What's one TV show that you don't write for that you're watching right now that inspires you from a writing perspective? Uh, Veep. Veep is something that it's one show that I watch faithfully and every episode I'm like, I could never do this. Like, I don't know how they find the line between such aggressively harsh humor, but they still play it straight. The jokes are very rapid fire and they always come from character. Sometimes they move the story forward and sometimes it's just a seemingly throwaway joke, but I'm, I'm constantly sort of in awe at how they manage to pull off what they pull off. How about any writer, living or dead, who would you choose to bring to a fast food restaurant? Which fast food restaurant? <laughs> what writer, living or dead? Um, that's hard to... TV or... L- Could be anything. Comic uh, books. Ooh, oh, okay, okay. You said comic books, which now we're now you're now I'm in my lane. <laughs> um, so I went to a um, I think it was it was a comic. It wasn't the San Diego Comic Con, the big one. It was the Long Beach Comic Con a couple of years ago, and I met Chris Claremont. And for those who don't know, Chris Claremont, especially during the '80s, was the primary writer on the uh, X Men comic book series for Marvel, and also a lot of the spinoffs. Alpha Flight and New Mutants and a, a ton, a ton. I'm not even beginning to scratch the surface. And so I stood in line, got an autograph, took a picture with him. And it wasn't until after I walked away that I started thinking about it. And I said, you know what? I think he might be literally the one writer who I've read the most of. When I think about the, the breadth of, of his work, because he was writing when I was a, a kid, when I was a teenager, and I was absorbed, I was inhaling these comic books like uh, There Was No Tomorrow. And just in terms of the sheer volume of his output, I feel like what I do now in writing for television, which is basically long form storytelling, I didn't realize it. But when I was a kid reading his work and other people's you know, uh, uh, comic book series, I was beginning to study the, the, the art of long form storytelling because every month there's a, new, there's a new issue. And just like in TV, every week there's a new episode and you have to figure out how to keep the stories 
interesting and compelling and without repeating yourself. But anyway, all that to say, he and I could go get a burger sometime. That'd be fun. Love it. Um, You referenced comic books. Yes. We live in an age where superhero movies have gone out of control. Did you ever expect that that would be a thing? No. In fact, I remember distinctly as a kid reading, once again, I was reading an an X-Men comic book. And this was like in the probably the early 80s. And, you know, they always have the letters page, you know, people, you know, fans write in and they publish a a select group of letters. And I remember someone asked the question if they would ever one day consider doing an animated X-Men movie. And I remember the response from the editor was like, even better. One day we we foresee doing a live action X-Men movie. And as a kid, I was like, that'll never work. How do you, how, how, how do you make that look anywhere near realistic and interesting? So, so that's how far removed I was from ever believing that things would, would be uh, uh, where they are now. And there are pros and cons of that too. You know, like, you know, there are, there are movies that aren't getting made because there's no room for them in the marketplace because, you know, certain other movies are, are eating up all the screens. There again, you know, TV is sort of filling that, that gap in a, in a lot of ways. If you could choose, I know you gave some advice on how to break into the industry very early in this episode. If you could choose one thing you've learned that you'd want to pass on to aspiring writers or directors, what would you say? This is something that I had to learn for myself over the course of many years. And it sounds really cliche and simple, but it's really true, which is don't give up. And sort of the, the flip side to that lesson is if they could write it themselves, they would. They need writers. And by they, I mean, you know, networks and studios mm-hmm. and executives who tell you that you're not ready or you're not good enough or, or whatever. Not to say that they don't have helpful things to say in terms of feedback and giving notes on episodes and scripts. But for me, it all comes back to if they could write these fucking scripts themselves, they damn sure would. So, it so save some money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so they need you <laughs> and they're never going to tell you that. So you have to just sort of keep on fighting for your place at the table. Love it. So the last question, uh, normally, when we can't see the guest, I would say, Harry, pass me the envelope. And then I pretend to open an envelope. <laughs> and then I ask this question. Okay. The question is, did you have fun on the podcast? I had a great time. I'm awesome. glad we did this. It's a pleasure to have you. Thank you for joining us while you're in New York City. Yeah. Great timing on that. Did you want to plug anything? Power, obviously, your handle. Uh, yeah, again, again, I, I would love to plug power. Unfortunately, I can't give anybody a premiere date because I literally don't know it. But you can find me on social media. Uh, I'm pretty active on Twitter. My Twitter handle is my name. It's at Eric Haywood. I'm also on uh, Instagram under the, under the same. Amazing. Well, thank you, Eric. We really hope to uh, have you back on the show soon. Enjoy New York. And thank you to our listeners. We hope to see you next week. Thank you so much for listening to The Writer Experience. If you enjoyed the episode today, please leave a rating, a review, and a comment on iTunes. You can also check us out on Instagram at Writer Experience and Twitter and Facebook at Writer EXP. The Writer Experience is a Samurai Dinosaur production. Copyright 2019. All rights reserved. Music by Kevin McLeod.